0: Awesome, so good. Well, we are actually in the third part of our series called Going Deeper. Going Deeper. Who loves to dive down deeper in the ocean? Summer's coming, and one thing that I, that I love doing, thanks so much, River, one thing that I love doing is swimming out the back when there's big swell, when there's big surf, and there's beautiful clear blue skies, and you just dive down deep in that beautiful still moment where you see the waves rolling above you, you open the eyes. There's something beautiful about diving deeper. And this, what, that's what this series is about, diving deeper into the Bible, deeper into the Word of God. And so the first week, we're in week three right now. First week, I spoke about how Jesus wants us to build the substance of our life on something solid so we can withstand all of the storms and all the hard times in life. And who knows that all of us, there's not one person on the planet that you'd shake your hand and say, hey, Is life easy? And they go, you know what? It is. (laughs) Life is pretty easy. I don't think any of us would say that. We'd all agree that life can be hard. There's all kinds of challenges, both the ones you predict and the unpredictable ones. And so Jesus wants us to actually live in freedom and live a good solid. Do you know he's for you? He wants good things for you. And so he's saying, well, come and build your life on something solid. Don't build your life on a swamp. Don't build your life on the shifting sands of culture of the fads and phases and fashions and what's popular now and the opinions of people around you that can change. You know, some studies, you know, this study says this and then you base your life on that. The next week, those same people will come up with a different study that completely completely contradict it. It's like, well, what do you want? Make up your mind. Is coffee bad for you is it good for you? I say it's good for you in Jesus' name. Um, and so, but Jesus wants us to build our life in something enduring and something solid. And so the first week I spoke about how God wants us to pile, to dig deeper. I talk about piling. It's a construction term and how if you've got a swamp, you can't build on a swamp, right? Um, the sediment is very unstable. I have a building design background. And so what you need to do is actually pile down through, send concrete pillars really, through the swamp down to a solid structure, solid rock or, or strata that can actually handle the weight of, of the building that's been built. And so Jesus also wants us to dig deeper, to pile down through the noise of Netflix and opinions and all these things around us that at a surface level can make us feel nice for a moment. But he wants us to dig deeper and build our life on his eternal, unchanging word. And it's solid. And you to withstand the storms of life. You might get a few broken-in windows by some debris and shrapnel flying around the place. But you know what? You're going to stand firm within the storm. And so then Ash spoke a phenomenal message last week, didn't she? Let's give it up for Ash. Come on. She's leading worship here tonight. She preached last week a phenomenal message that helped us just to understand the Bible a bit better. And when she finished that message off by sharing about how the Word of God, God's words, when she didn't just listen to them, but owned it and put it into practice in her own life, her life has been transformed. And so many of us have have had front row seats to watching her life literally be transformed over the last two, two and a half years to where she is now. And you know what? The glory goes to God. Um, She put it into practice, but the person who made it work was God. And we all have the same opportunity. All of us can transform our lives by doing exactly the same thing. Not just listening to the Word of God, oh, that's nice, but putting into practice, you can build a strong life and you can be transformed. Um, And so we're in the third part of the series. Next week, we're starting a new series called Get Hooked. Everyone say, get hooked. (laughs) Who wants to get hooked? Well, someone's excited. (laughs) Not that kind of thing. Um, but you know what? God wants us to get hooked. He wants us to to hook ourselves into the promises of God. And so we're gonna be, what we're going to be doing is, over three weeks, hearing stories. We might have couches up here or something, but uh, we're going to have a setting where we're going to be hearing real-life stories, not just theory, but real-life stories about how, as people have taken hold of the truths in the Word of God, the promises of the Word of God, as they've anchored themselves in these promises, the difference that it has made in their lives, and so we have some phenomenal people that are going to be sharing a part of their journey. So you don't want to miss the next three weeks. And um, and but tonight, I want to actually talk about uh, the the final part of this three-part series of going deeper. Is can the Bible be trusted? Can the Bible be trusted? Um, Two Timothy chapter three sixteen, it says this. It says, all scripture is God breathed. And it's useful. It's actually useful. It's useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the servant of God, that's everyone here, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped. You want to be ready, don't you, for life. God's got to work. He's got something for every single person to do. The word of God helps us, shapes us, refines us to be equipped and ready to go for what God has for us. It's not just, you know, coming to church and hearing the Bible, it's not just a religious experience, but it speaks into your marriage, it speaks into your relationships, into your workplace, into your job, into the future. The Bible is the eternal truths of God that are very useful for our lives. And what God wants us to do is to learn it, to live it, and to love it. Everyone say, learn it, live it, love it. Let me tell you, when you begin to live it and you see it works, this works, you begin to love it. You do begin to love it it 's something alive and makes a difference in our lives. We want to understand it um, a few a few months ago, I actually was sitting around the dining table. You might have heard this before, and I asked our kids, kids, what does a leader do? What does a leader do and i 've been teaching our kids that a leader is like a servant, so if you want to be a leader you 've got to serve other people that 's The higher you go, really, the lower you go. You're you're there to serve people around you, and our kids know this. And Oscar, my oldest son, I know he's about to say, "Dad, a leader is the one who serves people." But my daughter popped up. She says, "I know, Dad." I'm like, "Oh, okay, Leanna," and she says, "A leader gets people circumcised." (laughs) I was like, "What?" What kind of, have you been to Have you been to Ocean's Academy? Well, did you learn that there? Um, well, a I, I leader. Right. Wow. Whoa. Okay. And um, I was like, ten points for enthusiasm, but maybe say the enthusiasm for something else. Maybe a different kind of goal. Um, but you know, some of us can read the Bible. And we don't understand. We can take it out of context, okay? There is something about that said in there, but it's definitely not a um, prerequisite for leadership, um, in, in, at least in this church. Maybe in the, the tabernacle of David, something down there. But um, <laughs> And so, but let me tell you, although well, what we want to do tonight is, is to tell you that the Bible can be trusted. The Bible can be trusted. It can be something you can build your life on. I know there's movies out there like The Da Vinci Code, and, and people say, you meet people in the streets and in conversations, maybe some people here have started, well, I've heard that it can be change over time and over centuries and the meaning, it's just principles and just ideas and themes, it's just a metaphor, it's not really real, well, parts of it are, but it's not really, we can get a bit confused, but, but tonight, I just want to get really practical and just tell us it can be trusted. And so I'm just going to pray right now, because we want to mix it with faith. This isn't just a lecture with information that we go thank you for that mental but but tonight god actually his agenda is he, he loves you and he he wants what's good for you and tonight he, he just wants to yes reason in the head but mixing with faith he, he wants to actually impact your life at a personal level and so why don't you maybe you haven't been to church before uh, or maybe you haven't been to church for a while maybe you don't believe this stuff you're welcome we have a saying you belong here you have to believe before you belong here because we, we love you. God loves you. He said, come as you are. But tonight, why don't you just open up your heart. Say, so God, including those online, just speak to me now. And so why don't we all close our eyes together. God, I thank you so much that you love every person in this place and watching online. I thank you that you have good things for them, God. And So tonight, God, we just open up our heart. Come and speak to us, God. Lord, we only need a mustard seed of faith, you said. We don't need massive pools of faith, but just a drop. I must see God. And so, God, we just, by faith, we say, come and speak to us, God. And I pray for every single person in this place that their life will never be the same, God, that by faith, you will let us dive deep and build our lives on the solid, eternal word of God in Jesus' name. And we all said in a big, loud voice, amen. Awesome. All right. The Bible, why the Bible can be trusted, and it can be, first of all, Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is Jesus. He's not just a teacher. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain the same. Culture changes. What one culture 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even in Australia, we had such deep convictions about what was right or wrong, and now culture shifts. And this is what's right or wrong. No doubt in another 10 or 20, 30 years, it's going to change again. Everything changes in life, but there's one thing that never, ever, ever changes, and that is the Word of God. Even heaven and earth will pass away before the truth of the Word of God passes away. And so what I've got is three reasons the Bible can be trusted. Three reasons why the Bible can be trusted tonight. And this comes from, by the way, this is, by the way, called apologetics. Apologetics is not where you apologize for everything because you're really insecure. Like, hi huh, sorry <laughs> it 's like sorry i 'm here <laughs> sorry i 'm alive <laughs> it's just like no don 't be sorry come 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 um it 's not saying i 'm sorry, but apologetics is really it 's a strange word, but it 's basically like reasoned evidence as to why your faith can it, it can be trusted there 's evidence as to the resurrection there 's evidence about christianity it still it still demands a faith response but we 're not all just taking out our brains not not believing we haven't got it's not like we don't have solid evidence out there and so we've done a bit of research drawing on someone called chris hodges another guy called josh mcdowell josh if you go to josh.org you can top it in your notes because all of you are taking notes i can just tell um (laughs) josh mcdowell is an apologist um and and you can find him on josh.org and he's written a uh, book called evidence demands a verdict evidence that demands a verdict a really really great book Um, and also some research from Rick Warren as well. So the first key, the first point about why the Bible can be trusted is, it is historically accurate. It's historically accurate. See, the Bible, again, isn't just great principles from made-up stories, like Dreamtime stories. Oh, there's great metaphors in that. It's a great story that we can believe. But it's actually... It's actually historically accurate all the way through 6,000 years. It can trail um, people that have been born, actual recorded history, 6,000 years all the way back to Adam at the creation of the earth. And so it's, it's got historical truth in it, and history proves it. Um, and so there's three tests when it comes to the historical veracity of something, there's three different tests, and this isn't just a, a Christian test. This is if, if you do history at university, you know about these three tests to test the accuracy of records and things like Plato and other under ancient writings. And the first key to test the historical veracity of something is whether there was eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts is really key, so it's not just a hearsay, it's not just a story, there's actually eyewitness accounts. About the thing that happened and so in the gospels which is matthew mark luke and john another way to say good news um there were four of jesus followers who were eyewitnesses to what actually they were actually there with jesus they actually saw it with their eyes they had many other people that could either dispute and what they've written down but all of them four of the gospels say exactly the same things or they say they say in different ways but there's no contradictions between four people's accounts about what happened through the life and the times of Jesus. And neither did they all sit down at the table and say, what did you write in chapter 7? And they're like, you know, deleting this and redacting things and adding things. But it's four independent eyewitness accounts of the life and the times and what Jesus did. When we look at the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch, um, and, and Moses actually wrote this, and he was there. He was the one who walked through the Red Sea. He was the one that walked... And delivered the, the Israelites out of Egypt. So there's eyewitness accounts is the first thing. The second thing that give historical veracity to these things is that it's recorded with extreme care, that the method of the recording of these writings, the, the accuracy of them. And so when we have a look and we compare ancient texts with other things, like, again, Plato and, and other writings, what, what really matters in terms of the historical reliability of these things is, is the accuracy with which these documents have been recorded. And so God chose the right people to record the Old Testament. He chose the Jews, who were very meticulous. They're very gifted and precise and meticulous. And so the scribes would actually get the original texts. And they'd copy these writings. And they wouldn't just copy word for word. Like you and I, when we copy things, we read the sentence and I'll we'll try and remember. But what they did is, not only would they copy word for word, they would zoom in. They would record character by character. They would be so precise. In fact, when these people would make copies of the Pentateuch, the first five books in the, in the Bible or the Torah, um, what they would do to, to test the accuracy of their copying was that they wouldn't just count the words, they'd count the characters throughout the whole entire book. And they knew what particular character in the Pentateuch was like the middle character, and they'd count either side by characters, and if there was any misalignment, they'd throw the whole thing out, and they'd start again. They were like meticulous with their records. And so we've got these ancient copies of copies of copies over in this way that all match up. But then in 1940 and 1950, in the 40s and 50s, there was something called the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And they were, again, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible were discovered, thousands of years old, stored in, in jars that had been pre- preserved over centuries. And they thought, this is going to test to see whether these copies of copies of copies match these copies. And they took them out and they, and they matched them and they were absolutely perfectly aligned they absolutely. It was. It was sure. It's miraculous. It is amazing. And so, the the records are stringently copied. There's eyewitness accounts. It's recorded accurately. And also, you need archaeological confirmation with ancient texts. If there's no archaeological confirmation, then maybe it's a really it's a great made up story with great copies and etc. And so, the truth is that there are hundreds. There's archaeological records of all the historical accounts all throughout the bible Um, and we we see jesus in israel and and you could list hundreds of different historical archaeological confirmations and so one example though was the hittites the people a group of people called the hittites and the hittites were a group of people um, that no one could find any evidence for and so the Canaanites and other groups of people they could find historical, archaeological evidence for, all the way up until the 1900s. I can hear myself just over there talking behind myself. Um, all the way up until the 1900s, there was no evidence that the Hittites were actually people until there was actually, at this late stage, um, there was actually a, a dig and excavators found the sites that validated Yes, the Hittite Empire actually existed. And so there's actually great historical evidence, archaeological evidence of the recordings of Scripture. So while the Bible can be trusted, or three reasons. The first reason is it's historically accurate. It's historically accurate. The second point is this. The Bible is scientifically accurate. Can you hear me <laughs> You heard me with that one. Whatever go. Can you hear me? Say amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) That's just going to reflect itself over (laughs) here. It's scientifically accurate. You know what? The Bible isn't a scientific document, but it is scientifically accurate. I mean, who made the world? God made the world. He's the one that set the laws of physics. He's the one who set the stars in the sky. He knows biology. He knows how to fix my back more than I do. He knows how everything works. He's the ultimate scientist. God is the one who set these things why does the world work so well? Why do all the different dials match so beautifully in sync? It is because God created the world. He has set all these laws in motion. And so the Bible, get this, has never contradicted science. So the Bible remains truth. It never changes, right? It never, ever changes. The Bible doesn't go, oh, oops, they made a new scientific discovery. We need to change, we need to change our scientific Um, opinion on things now at this late stage. No, the Bible stayed consistent. Science, however, has evolved. Science has changed. What what we believed scientifically 50 years ago, some of it, it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. What we were so convinced was science, but then it's changed. But the Bible has always been scientifically accurate. Psalm 148, verse 5 to 6, it says, "'Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, "'for he issued his command, and they came into being.'" He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. So it's not a science book, but it's scientifically accurate. Um, the French Academy of Science in 1861 actually had a, um, had a document or a paper written called 51 incontrovertible, incontrovertible Scientific Facts that Prove the Bible's Wrong, 51 of them. But since then, all have been controverted. Well actually proven, no, 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 it's the, and you can, you can look it up. The Bible's right. It's right, scientifically accurate. And so what's more interesting is what the Bible didn't say. And so, again, what we have is evolving science all the way through, but we have the Bible is consistent in terms of being scientific. I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to give you, so the Bible didn't flex according to the science of the day, right? What's scientific today? Oh, no. And the writers didn't change their opinions or update things. It's, it's, it's accurate the whole way through. For example, um, it was obviously widely accepted that the earth was flat. This was the belief for thousands of years until Copernicus, Galileo, Columbus in 1492 went, oh, it's round. It's a sphere. That late, right? Science. Wow, we're amazing. The Bible, however, 2,600 years ago, In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says this, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And the ancient Hebrew, it literally means sphere. In the Bible, according to the science of the day, they believe the earth is flat, yet the Bible is scientifically accurate, saying God sits enthroned above the sphere, above the circle of the earth. It doesn't contradict science. Who knew? God knew, (laughs) because God made it. Another, another view is the science of the day. I know we laugh at it, right? But people will probably laugh at the stuff we believe as well. It um, says the earth had to be held up. The Greeks believed that apparently um, Atlas had to hold up. You know that scripture you know, the, um, that scripture? you know that picture that we have of Atlas holding up the world? They literally believed that. That there was Atlas, a God, holding up the earth. That was the scientific. The Hindus believed that the earth laid on an elephant, which laid on a sea turtle, which was stationed on a sea serpent. This is what, they, this is what they, they believe. Scientifically, this is what the belief was. The belief of the ancient Egyptians was the earth sat on five pillars. I don't know what those pillars were connected to, but that the earth was stationed on five pillars. This was the scientific understanding of the day. So Moses grew up with the education of, he was the, great, he was the grandson of Pharaoh, and Moses grew up, he was educated according to the, the, the Egyptian education, and so they would have taught him, okay, the earth sits on five pillars, yet... You never see anything about that in the writing of Moses at all. In fact, the oldest book of the Bible, and we have the the Bible isn't necessarily written in chronological order, but if you look at a chronological Bible, Job, the book of Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. And Job chapter 26, verse 7, it says it all there. It says, God, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Scientifically, not contradicted. The Earth is suspended because God holds it. In, it's phenomenal. God, God holds it suspended in space. Scientifically accurate, not bending down to the opinions of the day. Another one is um, Hipparchus, who was a scientist in 150 BC, said the stars can be counted, and he counted 1,022 stars. Hey, <laughs> that would be a job, one. Two, three, dog. So, starting again. How do you know if you have to start again? Can you, like, color them out or something? I don't know. Um, but he counted 1,022. That was, in, that, was, that was a scientific opinion in 150 BC. But then 300 years later, Ptolemy, an absolute genius, you're full of it. There's not 1,022 stars. You miss four. There's 1,026. He was like, breakthrough, scientific discovery. Four more stars. All the newspapers of the day. Woo, come on. But Then we know Jeremiah chapter 3, 33, verse 22, it says, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. They're innumerable. Again, the Bible evidence, it doesn't contradict science. Another one, all right? We've got two more. This is just, this is just laid out before you right there. Another one is the scientific opinion of the day was that bloodletting is good for you. That you, if you're sick, you've got like sick blood in you. So you've got to let out the sick blood. That was a scientific. In fact, George Washington had, had heart issues. And on his third bloodletting, that's how he passed away, the former president of the United States. According to this great scientific breakthrough theory, um, theory was you need to do bloodletting to get healthy. Blood can be bad. Sick blood, you've got to get rid of it. That was the scientific opinion of the day. But the Bible says, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for the life of the body is in the blood. There is life in the blood. And we go, yeah, we know. But, but it's true. The life is in the blood, which is why Jesus gave his life for you and I, which is why the Bible says Jesus drained out his blood. He gave his blood. We're, we're, not, into, we're not vampires here. But, but in church, it's Jesus when it talks about Jesus giving his blood for you and I, really, it's literally saying he, dra- he gave his life for you and I. So there's life in the blood. Again, biblical Science, it lines up with actual science. And then the final one that we'll be able to relate to today is regarding contagious diseases. So um, the Black Plague actually swept through Europe and many people got infected and, and people didn't realize that they, they didn't have a scientific understanding necessarily about diseases and things that were contagious. However, in the Bible, if you look back in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 4, it says this, The priest will quarantine... The person, the sixth person, for seven days. This is thousands of years ago, and they were like, they, they went into lockdown. <laughs> they were like, you, you, you're contagious. They had no idea about even bacteria and things back then, but biblically, they didn't understand all of it. But again, it's scientifically consistent. If you're sick, you're quarantined over then. They don't, they might not understand why. But you know what? It was good for them because God loved them. He didn't want anyone to get sick. There's so many things in the Bible that we simply sometimes don't understand. But God wants the best for you. Sometimes it's good just for us to go, I don't really know why. But you know what? God loves you. He wants the best for you. It is scientifically accurate. Are you ready to move on? You're like, yeah, we are. We're ready to move on. Uh, Number three, first, it is historically accurate. Two, it's scientifically accurate. Number three, it is prophetically accurate. There's actually four more, but I'm not going to talk about tonight. It's prophetically accurate. You know, there's over a thousand prophecies in the Bible. The Bible was written over fourteen or sixteen hundred years by about forty different people. Its theme was consistent all throughout, not one contradiction throughout, and by many, many different authors. And and there was prophecies that were made that actually came into fulfilment. And so, for example, there were about three hundred prophecies regarding Jesus alone in the Old Testament. And the earliest prophecy before Jesus came was born was 400 years before Jesus was born. And, and 400 years ago, 400 years ago for us, that's when the Lewin came around the, the southwest Cape of, of Western Australia before Australia was settled and the first sighting was Australia. Imagine someone making a prophecy about you, about your life. The prophecies included the time and the place of his birth. It included that he'd ride a, a, a donkey into a city. Do you know that David actually prophesied the crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented? David prophesied that Jesus would be crucified but he, in, in the description of what would happen to him before the Romans had even invented crucifixion. And so there's at least 300 prophecies about Jesus alone. Um, and and a, a guy called Peter Stoner actually wrote a book called Science Speaks. It's where he gathered 600 researchers to work out the probability of someone being able to fulfill the prophecies about Jesus to the skeptic. Oh, well, surely someone woke up one day, they're like, I oh, know, I want to be the Messiah. So he quickly went through the Bible and thought, okay, I'm going to fulfill all these prophecies. And so he researched the probability of one person being able to do that. Um, number one, if you weren't born in Bethlehem, uh, too late. <laughs> there's there's a, a great number of prophecies that are completely out of their control um, for them to come true before you're even born. So, really, it, it, so this was the results. And rather than looking at 300 prophecies, he only brought it down to eight specific prophecies that were made about Jesus. He researched what's the probability of one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies that were made 400 plus years earlier. And the probability was, and I need to count these zeros. Of, of actually seeing eight of these prophecies, so not even th- 300, but eight of them were one, th- the probability was one in 10 to the power of 17. In other words, probability, what's probability is if I had 10 balls in a bucket and I painted one red, there's a one in 10 chance that I'll pull out the red ball. But the probability of one person fulfilling all these prophecies was one in 10 to the power of 17. So that is one, two, so three, six, nine, twelve, thirteen four that 's one with fourteen zeros. that is a very, very big in, in, in other words it 's impossible. that was only for eight. He researched the probability to see forty eight of the three hundred and it's one the chance is one in ten to the power of one hundred and fifty seven anyway it 's impossible it 's unbelievably impossible there 's more chance of you finding one coin in the whole of New South Wales, two feet worth full of coins and you're painting one red and pulling out the right coin. It's, it's r- ridiculous. For me, I've got more faith in God intentionally designing that and seeing those prophecies coming through rather than it just happening by chance. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. It says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. In other words, people going, Hmm, I'm going to come up with a conspiracy theory that's going to last for 2,600 years or, or whatever it is. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And you know, Jesus trusted in these prophecies that were made about him as well. He said in Matthew 26, verse 56, he said, but all this is happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. And Jesus only had access to the Old Testament at that time. And so what we're talking about is the accuracy of the Bible, that it can be trusted, Is prophetically accurate. And you know what? There's actually some prophecies that are yet still to come true. In Revelations, there's prophecies about things that are happening now. There's things that are happening on the other side that are still to come. And Revelations 22 verse 6 says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And, you know, one of the the prophecies, I love one of the, the last verses at the end of Revelations, and it's when Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. That is a prophecy. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon to bring us to be with him, to reconcile us back to himself, to take him with us into eternity. And so the fourth thing is, I'm throwing this one in for free, the fourth thing and reason evidence that we can rely on the bible is the bible has transforming power the bible has transforming power We've been talking a lot about our head but the truth is the bible is living and has the power to transform your life it has the power to transform my life and so many of us here have got stories of how when we put our trust in god the god behind the bible that our lives are completely transformed by the power of God. And John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, this is what Jesus said. He said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my truth, if you don't just listen to the truths of Scripture, but but you hold to them, you anchor your life on them, you build your life on them, not as a as a nice a pep talk, not as a nice feel good, but as you, as you put the weight of your life on these scriptures, you'll be set free. Your life will be completely transformed by the power of God. And so what I want to do now is just to lead us in, in a prayer, in a prayer that, that realigns our hearts with God. We're going to be singing in a few moments as well. We're going to be singing this, this song. Thanks, Ryan. Awesome. And we're going to be opening up our heart and saying, God, I want to, I want to build my life on your word tonight and tonight we've heard things in our in our minds that help us to reason through and see the the accuracy and the reliability of scripture but tonight what I want to do is invite us to say God tonight I want to shift my faith from my feelings or from the world into your word. Let me tell you your feelings cannot be trusted. (laughs) Who knows that? My feelings can't be trusted. The sun goes behind the clouds. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's just an external thing. Oh. The sun comes out. Ah, it's, I'm so flimsy. But when I, when I, my, my feelings have a place, but when I put them to the side, I hold them there in their proper place. I'm not dominated by them, but I live my life according to truth. Then my life has changed. I'm set free from my feelings trying to dominate, pull me in this direction. The opinions of, people so what I want to do, want to do now is, say, is invite us say God I want to run after you tonight I want to build my life in something solid that is your word God I want, to, I want to now not just in reason but I want your word to drop down to my heart and I want to prioritize living according to your truths in scripture because Jesus' agenda for you is this then you know the truth and the truth will set you free the truth will set you free you want freedom in your life know the truth live the truth you want freedom and liberty joy peace if you've been dominated if you've been pushed down if you if you've had shame come over you then the invitation from jesus be set free come to me jesus said i'm the truth on the way on the way to the father so let's all stand together tonight Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe right now across this room, you're going to close your eyes. You're going to lift your hands as an outward sign of your surrender to God, the living God, the Jesus who is here, who is walking with us right now. You know, before in worship, just such, sense such a powerful presence of God. And right now is our opportunity to draw near to Him. The Bible says, if we draw near to Him, we shuffle towards him. He rushes towards us. So why don't you right now just draw near to him in your heart. Lord, tonight, God, we draw near to you, Lord God. We draw near to you, Lord, the truth of who you are, that you are God, that you're our saviour, who died, who gave you life for us, God, that you've given us the word of God to base our lives on. And tonight, Lord God, we turn, Lord, from building our lives in the shifting sands of culture, of our feelings, Lord, about the opinions of man, but tonight we shift, Lord God, and we choose to build our life on something solid, which is the Word of God. By faith we take hold of your Word, Lord. Let's sing it together. I just want to be where you are.